My name is Yuri Lowenthal. My name is Travis Sintel. And you are awaited. You are awaited. Do you is remember? It, do you remember what the show do you is? It's a show podcast <laughs> that spent a year on the Fury Road analyzing the internal intricacies of Yuri Lowenthal and Travis Sintel's ids, egos, and superegos. It was a journey through cinematic brilliance. It was a dissection of philosophical tropes. It was a Joseph Campbellian adventure into the inner heart and inner sanctums of the collective human experience. And here we are for a special episode of You Are Awaited. Because yeah, you know what our show was missing? Not enough Colin Gibson. You know what? We, uh, we did that. Let me ask we you did. a question, Yuri. Yeah. Before we get into Colin Gibson, yeah, we have let's, a call, let's, yeah. call scheduled. How, yeah. the, how the fuck are you? It's I, been a little bit. It has been a little bit. I'm, I'm doing okay. I've missed you. I've missed you too. I've, Yuri. Missed, I've missed the show. I've missed talking about Fury Road. I've, 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 I've missed seeing your face. I, we're yeah. going to, we, you know, we really, I, you know, I know you've been gone. You, were, you, were, you were in India for I a was in India. I was on the Fury Indian Road. Yeah. And uh, it was beautiful. It was great. I had a nice time. You were time. on, on. The Curry Road. The Curry Road. <laughs> oh, that took me longer than, than, than I, I am. Have you been writing yeah, that since I left? I've been writing that since you left. <laughs> You're like, I That's hope good. we get another guest because I have this because joke. Because I have this I joke. I have to unload. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going crazy not telling this joke. Um, I do want to say this, mm. um, that we have gotten some amazing emails from fans. We have. Um, Ian Tavner's uh, email sweet. brought me to tears. Yeah, man. Just sweet stuff and really beautiful and... I'm happy that we have a chance. I'm happy that we have an excuse to mm -hmm. do this other episode. Um, hopefully, we'll get a couple more guests. They're still in the works, but mm -hmm. I'm happy we at least have this just to touch base and say thanks to to everybody one more time. It's been it's mm -hmm. been really cool, and and you know we started this thinking that the two of us would just get together and basically mentally jerk off on each other for for you know a year of, mm -hmm. of Mad Max. But to hear that other people wanted to jerk off with us, <laughs> this metaphor is falling apart. <laughs> no, but you no, know what I mean. No, you keep, keep the, going the down other that road. People, other people, other other grown men wanted to jerk off with us <laughs> at the and same grown time. Women and, and grown listen women. to us. I don't know how many women we have. Maybe like five. Carly, you know, I don't know if Carly is a uh, is a woman or a man. I, I I think she's a woman. Oh, that was a nice. Uh, she called us out on the uh, on the on the Jamaican dude thing. Yeah, yeah. That uh, you know, because we we sort of made fun of you know. I don't think that that's the same guy at the end. Um, as you know, the guy. In I the, made fun but, of you in the moment. No, you did. To be fair. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but she said, "I'm not." She said, "I'm not talking about that guy. I'm talking about this other guy uh, who pops up at six minutes and nineteen seconds." Oh, now, I have not done my due diligence and um, gone to to check her. But thank you for for clarifying. Wait, around six minutes would be that chase sequence, though, would it not? Where he sees well, the flashback. That's the guy you're talking uh, about, right? No, no, because she 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 compares the two and oh. and the first one, and she shows the uh, yeah no. Okay. It's, it's something we'll have to look into that, you know, once again, if we were professionals, I would have looked up. Can I be honest? That. I won't look into it. You want <laughs> Just being real. Can and I be I, honest? Yeah. We're not professionals. <laughs> That's also true. Everyone who uh, is listening at this point knows that. Um, please, please, I will say, please keep up the relationship and, and we're happy to get emails and 
tweet and um, if, yeah. if nothing comes of this podcast but having a, a new set of friends and a new community then it is certainly worth it to me absolutely um, and I hope otherwise we wouldn't continues. have uh, set up a, a Twitter that I, that I check occasionally um, or an email uh, address <laughs> otherwise we would have just made it impossible for you to get in touch with us yeah I, uh, I put the Twitter notifications on on my phone from that account so well, yeah, I, see, so I see that shit yeah you do I'm not even a Twitterer and I see that shit so well you know what I did this is again off topic but let's why, why not it's what we do it's our show I set up and it's been a while since they've you know seen or heard from us heard us, us so. ramble uh, I it's not I don't I don't use Hootsuite but I connect my Facebook to my Twitter so everything you that see is... me tweet is just from Facebook oh I do the opposite because uh, I, I hate being on Twitter Facebook first. so when I tweet something it goes to my Facebook I like to fight with people uh, uh, in longer form on on Facebook so that's really Facebook becomes bless the your bless your heart I've I've lost all energy to fight with people anymore oh, it invigorates me it makes me pleased. Uh, I just think uh, it's fun to sort of hear those opinions. I use a fight, a, the word fight a little facetiously. I, no, I know. I like you, to you know, I've, I've seen you quote unquote fight on yeah. Facebook and you were very uh, reasoned and methodical and uh, uh, patient with your, like, with your fight. It's a warm bath fight. It is That's a warm I, bath. I want to massage you while I deconstruct your worldview. While we're That's jerking, while we're jerking off together in a warm bath. Look, watch us jerk <laughs> off. Let's talk about the world. We'll sort it out, man. Uh, anyway, we do uh, have a Colin Gibson today. We do, we do, um, and we we also need to come up with a way for you and I to hang out one because I haven't seen Travis since we finished this podcast, and then all this time went by, and we just need to not let the internet be the. The, the, the thing that pushes us back together. Yeah, I agree. Uh, also, I think, yes, go Yuri ahead. and I are very open. Mm -hmm. A number of you have tweeted at us about this. I won't give you the exact numbers, but there's been a substantive amount mm -hmm. saying you guys should uh, go into a new subject and keep podcasting. I'm down. I, I'm absolutely down. So we're going to talk about that off screen, but if you have other mm -hmm. ideas off screen, what a, I'm drunk, <laughs> off, off air, but if uh, you do have other ideas about things that you mm -hmm. would like us to discuss, we are down to do that, or even special guest episode or special episode in this uh, podcast world. We can we can consider yeah. that also. Yeah, we're desperate. I'm saying we're desperate. We're desperate. We're desperate. <laughs> we're desperate. Yeah. Um, if you're desperate um, uh, for for more Tom Hardy, uh, can I can I recommend and I'll recommend this straight to your face because we haven't talked about it. Taboo. I haven't seen it yet. Taboo is so fucking good, Travis. Is it good? And nobody's talking about it. I I. Am I just, I don't know if I'm just stupid. It's, no, I, I it's like history right. porn. It's, oh, I like that. Uh, it's so, it's so good. You know what I haven't loved? What? Westworld. Really? Yeah. I really enjoyed Westworld. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. Okay. It's, it's not as, in my opinion, it's not as good. I like Taboo better. Yeah, I want to watch Taboo. But I, I, I love me some Jimmy Simpson. Yeah. Um, and getting to see this much Jimmy Simpson is great. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it was full of nice things for me. What, what, what was it that you, that you, you didn't. You know, I think it, Westworld. That, yeah, what, we're, what off, did, we're off the rails here again, Yuri, but let's, let's do it. We'll get to Colin Gibson in a second. Yeah. We just got him. We've got him hanging out in a little corral here. It's like, yeah, he Colin, you, you don't mind, right? You don't mind that we're we're getting we're getting to. Colin waits for us. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I think it, it feels like a failed experiment. Where I love the concept, love this art art direction, the yeah. art design of that show is incredible. Mm -hmm. Performances are great, mm -hmm. but they tried to hang all of their emotional weight on robots. And the main characters that were supposed to sort of, which is an interesting cognitive experiment to try. Right. Um, but I, I, I found myself w wanting to really be into it. But every time I, it was time to watch another episode, I had to make myself do it. 
I'm, on, mm-hmm. I'm on episode seven now. I just mm-hmm. do it because I feel like, well, I should finish the season. Sure, you're a completed completionist. Yeah, I try to like give everything its day in court, you know. Right. And these days, you know, a ten episode season is just a, a ten hour movie, really. Right. So you have to right. like give it its full. I think day in Taboo, court. Alas, and Alack is only eight episodes. There, okay. there are six episodes in uh, tonight. Actually, will be uh, seven. Yeah. Um, but keep going, sorry. With no, I was just going to say that I think I think uh, putting your emotional arc weight on. Robots is is a neat idea, but ultimately but tough. Do, doesn't ma- doesn't really land for me, and I think okay. it's just questionable storytelling. On that, oh, on that tip, please tune in. I think November. Uh, I think I can announce that I'm working on a, a show with um, Brian Cranston and Ron Moore, which is a Philip K. Dick adaptation show. My writing partner and Way I are to writing. Bury the lead. Well, we're writing one of the episodes. I don't even know. They've announced the show. Um, they haven't announced that we're writing on it, but I feel like that's fine. It's so. Okay. Take a look. Uh, we were one of the episodes of a ten-episode season, and it's got Travis Beecham who wrote Pacific Rim. It's got Ron Moore wrote one from Battlestar Galactica. Brian Cranston's going to be in one. Michael Dinner wrote one. D. Reese wrote one. Um, it's a cool group of writers and directors. You're so my hero. God, can I can I just say that you're my hero? Wow, is that, that is that weird? It's it's not weird, but it but it. It may signal the time when we should probably uh, finally introduce our guest. Let's pull our dicks out. Let's open up Skype. Let's, let's put our dicks away for the moment. Let's fuck that. To, I'm not, I'm not putting my dick away. Uh, you know, it's hard to put my dick away when I'm not wearing pants. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Colin Gibson. Uh, he, he created a lot and it was the mastermind behind uh, so much of what you saw in Fury Road and so many other movies. Uh, Colin Gibson, thank you for coming to the show today. My pleasure. Uh, it's we, if you can believe it, this this is a this is a podcast that we did for that we've done for a year, fifty two episodes. Every episode was about Fury Road. This is not a movie podcast where we talk about a lot of movies. This is because Travis and I had uh, were were so uh, in love and taken with Fury Road that we just kept talking about it, and we thought, you know what, maybe some other people want to hear this stuff too. We've had some great guests on. Some people. Who, uh, who I believe you've worked with, uh, Brendan McCarthy and uh, Matt Bow, um, at least worked with tangentially, um, and uh, we we work we work much closer than tangentially. Excellent. That that's what I like to hear. And uh, so much of what we as as we go through the the film, the things that that strike us are are the designs, are the you know the look, and and how deep everything goes. Nothing is surface nothing is put there just because it looks cool there's a story behind everything and so much of the design tells the story without having to you know, be bogged down with lots of dialogue explaining things or you know useless exposition and well, it's sort of, uh, it was it was, was a terrible feedback here whether it's my end oh you have feedback there let's see it wouldn't be from that. Now, um, let me let me dial down just the the volume on this side just to see if. Uh... How's that? All right. How's that sound to you? Better or worse? Yeah, no, it's more my end. I I could I could more than be happy listening to both of you. It's hearing my own voice that. Uh, is a, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry a about. Unusual punishment. Right. Uh, do you have headphones? That may take care of that. No, it's, it's okay now. Okay. I've, uh, I've managed to quash at least two of the inner voices. <laughs> We're only down to six. This is fantastic. <laughs> Great. So the, uh, I mean, the, 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 the story itself uh, basically uh, led to, it's one of those, you know, you design for the project and a project that uh, 
pretty much as a race for the first half and a chase for the second half is uh, is moving at 100 kilometres an hour constantly with uh, three small rest breaks uh, from the girls in the back saying, are we there yet? <laughs> the only way, the only way to... Uh, to actually try to get across a sense of the world was to layer and build it into everything that was there. You know, we were introducing what what we called characters. Uh, we why did we never see that? Briefly, and then, uh, you know, 15 seconds later, the vehicle and the uh, four guys on it are consigned to a uh, fireball and a bloody death. So it's only in those few beats that their weaponry, their uh, their scarring, their outfits, and their vehicles give you a chance to sort of feel uh, to feel that the world is authentic. It really is effective. You know, there's something we had talked about um, earlier on the podcast. Uh, James Joyce said that uh, it took me 30 years to write Ulysses. It should take you 30 years to read it. Uh, which made me never read Ulysses by James Joyce. But um, the idea being that someone takes that much time to pack pack a book and pack a sentence with meaning, intent, creation. And we know the long gestation fer- period of this film, it felt like it deserved time to unpack. And there was a, a subconscious sense when we watched it the first time that all the things you're saying were true, that, that someone had taken the time to actually exposit characters and build characters, even though they were on screen for two minutes before being exploded into a fireball, that... You know, I wonder if we pushed on this, if it would hold up, and it did. And I guess our first question, well, before we get into this, do you want to give our listeners some background of how you came to do what you do? I think that would be interesting for for people to hear. Uh, Well, it was just one of those choices. You steal a few cars, you get in with the wrong crowd. (laughs) As you do. The police offer you, you know, one or two options. And uh, filmmaking just seemed to be a little easier than most of the others. No, I was... uh, I was an actor, but uh, then I had children and they wanted to eat. Mm. And uh, most of the shows that I'd been in, I'd eventually ended up either taking over the the lighting or the stage design or the production management or something, just just to give me something more to do. Um, I I like to to own too much of everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically, I I went from uh, from acting and theatre work and... uh, uh, strangely, sort of fell into uh, into film through uh, through being a standby props guy. So, I've always been of the uh, of the theory that uh, either from the actor's point of view or even from the props point of view, you have to be able to try to imbue each of those beats with as much of the story as uh, as humanly possible, and then you can make everything real. Also, as a you know, working on a lot of a lower, much lower budget Australian jobs, yeah. uh, you know, you can only afford trying to explain to a director that it'd be great if we could shoot that wide shot, but you don't have the money. So mm. we're going to invest in this really, really beautiful antique uh, biro uh, and a piece of paper. And uh, we can't cut away to the war, but you will be able to have someone write a really nice postcard about it. <laughs> There was something Matt Bell said that kind of caught our attention. He said, you know, in explaining some of the construction of the props of the film and some of the cars and motorcycles, he said, well, we finished the motorcycles and moved on and they were looking for somewhere else to put me. And I said, wait, I, you know, we've been around film for 20 years here in Los Angeles. We've never heard anyone working in props say we finished something and moved on because we were happy with it. 
Is that a unique experience for you? That did you feel satisfied with a lot of the things you were able to create, or did you feel stymied or crunched by budget or time? Oh, no, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't uh, really put my hand up and say I was stymied by time. Um, <laughs> Good. Brendan McCarthy, I think, came to George in '97 or '98. Uh, you know, wanting to uh, wanting to just say thank you very much. I love your I love your stuff, and here's a couple of uh, graphic novels. And they got talking and uh, realised that uh, George had in his mind another story. And uh, maybe Brendan was a great choice to uh, to work it through. And by the time they added uh, Peter Pound and then eventually Mark Sexton, they had uh, they'd managed to 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 write a show with uh, at that stage about fourteen or fifteen hundred storyboards, but no script. Um, so when I was offered the job, the great joy was uh, being able to sit down for uh, for a month, listen to George tell the tell and uh, sort of walk you through the boards and then uh, decide that there already were a whole lot of drawings. You know, they weren't, uh, they weren't very specific. Some of Brendan's concept art was gorgeous but was not really sort of cleaving to the reality of that world if you were going to do it. He's a, he's a fantastic, uh, well, a fantasist, I would say, mm -hmm. and he had some, some beautiful stuff. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a little more tied to physics, and uh, I, I believe that uh, there's really only the hair stands up on your neck uh, when you defy gravity rather than when you pretend it doesn't exist in the uh, Fast and Furious system. Yes, yes, yes absolutely, so, I agree. So, uh, so we sort of embraced embraced the real physics. We embraced rules, uh, and then we invented all of our others. So. By sitting down and uh, and writing a sort of a tribal Bible, and the clue to that was that George always considered this to be someone looking back and retelling that story. He he tends to work that way. It's the it's the Joseph Campbell in him. So he was imagining that what we were watching unfold was actually being referred to from yet another future, and mm -hmm. uh, that history man looking back. And telling this anthropological tale was a great excuse for me to uh, sit down and uh, pretend I was Margaret Mead and, <laughs> uh, and actually start sort of specifying writing and backstorying each of the tribes, separating them out and uh, sort of giving them a much, a much greater background and uh, coloration. And then that sort of fed into, you know, if you find out what drives a character before you find out what he drives then you don't just go for cute and cool. You've got mm -hmm. uh, reasons, uh, storyline. You've got DNA to work with. Yeah. Uh, all of which is way off the point of uh, was I happy with the motorbikes? Uh, no, I just I just had to get Maddie off them. He really was twiddling and doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and we also, that sort of, basically I got Matt off. I'm sure he would have told you for, uh, for working on the claw. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. which was an ongoing, uh, an ongoing uh, project. Uh, George and I had, uh, well, George introduced me to Charlize, I recall, by saying, this is Colin, he and I disagree about everything. <laughs> <laughs> which wasn't true, but, uh, you know, it was, it was 
you know, there was a lot of uh, variation. Those stories do um, come up, Colin, just so you know. Uh, there's a lot of legacy stories about, well, Colin and George were disagreeing about X. That's a lead in to half the stories we heard. Right. We've, we've also, I was negligent in forgetting and saying, not saying that uh, the Mark Sexton, Mark Sexton has also been on the show. We've heard stories from, from several different places. There, there's a story that I'd love to, to get you to corroborate that I love in having talked to, to Matt uh, Bow. Um, he said that uh, when they were building things, um, they were allowed, uh, they were allowed sort of free run of like a, a junkyard type area, and you said, you know, whatever you can scavenge from here, you can use, and apparently, would in in the middle of the the night or when when people would walk away from their bench, uh, some designers would go and steal parts from from other designers even throughout the course of building these things, and you had to hide all the good pieces if you wanted to keep them. Can you corroborate that? Because I think it's one of my favorite stories. Yeah, well, part of the design process, we decided early on, the, uh, the war boys themselves were cobbling together this, uh, this, new, this new fall toward feudalism out of uh, the little that was left and, uh, you know, pointing it toward uh, survival. So basically, they it, we went out uh, and found. Uh, well, it was I went one direction. Uh, Laurie Fane went another. We found an awful lot of vehicles uh, and uh, you know hit the paddocks and back garages and pulled out passion projects and uh, rusting hulks from uh, from up and down the seaboard. And then specific vehicles that we really wanted to use, we found sort of, you know, on the net or uh, overseas, schlepped them in. Uh, and then basically did that pile. I also hit a couple of factories that were closing down, you know, went to uh, pay the nice man at the gate uh, a small <laughs> amount of money uh, so that we could come in and uh, help ourselves, you know, tell mm-hmm. them that, uh, you know, this glass factory in Alexandria was closing down and uh, the guys were getting robbed every night, you know, Locals were going over, leaping the fence and, you know, stealing whatever they could by hand. And I just said, you know, why don't we formalize this? I'll come back tomorrow with a few friends and uh, here's a thousand dollars. He was surprised to see five trucks, but uh, <laughs> he just didn't know how friendly I was. And yeah. we went back and, uh, and put that pile together. Obviously, it's what you choose to put in the pile. Um, it had to It had to be something that you could repurpose, that you could look at anew uh, with the new parameters of, uh, you know, how do I survive? How does this help me uh, survive? How does this uh, help my cargo faster or my weapon hurt hurt heavier? <laughs> uh, and also a sort of longing for a misremembered past. I always liked that... Uh, that sort of look, you know, you let, you know that, that look a Labrador gives a toilet roll when it's not quite sure whether to eat it, fuck it, play with it, push it around. <laughs> Yuri's giving me that look right now, Colin. <laughs> yeah, God, Yuri, you would have loved it. Uh, so anyway, we, uh, we put those big piles together and then the guys, you know, we would take what, what I referred to, Matt was one of our salvage artists, uh, Jono or Mark, one of the mechanics, uh, and then uh, we just go and sit down and say, okay, this is the story of this vehicle. All we really know about it from the storyboards is that uh, we see it and uh, 15 seconds later we, uh, we ram it from behind and it bursts into flame. Now, what we do know is that it tracks with this other vehicle and we know that uh, 
you know, if it does hang with this other vehicle, maybe it's in love with the other vehicle. Maybe the driver here has a, you know, homoerotic relationship with the, uh, with the people eater who's driving the other giant fractionating truck. So if he wants to love it, then he's going to want it look like that. So, well, what does he look like? Well, he's got a sort of a big fat bald head and sticky out ears and a syphilitic nose. Yeah, that looks like a Volkswagen. Huh. So we'll start with the Volkswagen and uh, then we'll work our way up. Well, he comes from Gastown. What did we say about Gastown? Gastown is... Uh, is sort of uh, homoerotic by virtue of there not being any women. It's all like oil rig, fly in but no fly out, uh, nothing but guys. So they sort of went a bit gym junkie and uh, they're also out on the flat. All they've got is fuel, so their weapons are going to be mostly flamethrowers. But they're out on the big flat and they need something tall so they can see people coming at them. So we give them poles up the crow's nest wearing my gym junkie He's got a syphilitic nose because George loves the idea that it's rotting. And so, therefore, if the leader's syphilitic, let's say quite a few of the others are. And mm. also, you know what? I can only find three or four guys who are really good at climbing poles at uh, <laughs> 40 feet high at uh, 100 kilometres an hour off-road bouncing around. So if I, I put a mask on them, those four guys can become eight or 12 wow. and I can kill as many as I like. So they became masks. And then uh, each of that, the fetishizing would change depending on, you know, where they came from and who they were with. Uh, and then their weapons would change based on the same thing. And then if I'm up a pole, then I need something that's motorized or that I can wear as a backpack, like a little leaf blower or a hedge trimmer. That's a good, you know, mm. so all of those, each of those things fed one into the other. Once you've got a, you know, a solid belief and you know where you are, the guys could go out and yes, decide what bits sort of suited and yes the bastards would go in there late at night <laughs> and and secrete things under their benches so that nobody would get you know the little mac truck symbol or uh, or this really cool uh, this really cool doll's head that uh, i just want to sort of hit with a torch melt blow and then force teeth back into so, were you, you know, trying there was, uh, there was a beautiful feedback loop that was happening, but only because we decided on the anthropology first. I have, I have a, a lot of questions about that. But yeah. first, although, I, although I can I can hear you tell the 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 evolution of each of the vehicles and each of the oh, little pieces of sure. things for for years. But did, Travis, please. Um, did you intentionally create a sort of competitive environment? Was that part of the Machiavellian sort of overseeing of that, or was that just a byproduct of that? No. Look, I'm think, uh, I think I think. George likes words like mastermind. I'm uh, I'm a little less uh, I'm a little less Machiavellian. I work more on the theory that uh, the great joy of doing films for me is uh, is immersing yourself in another world and then rebuilding that world from the inside out. And the best way that I can do that is to is to use the skills and talents and passions of all these other people, all these other guys you've had on for. Uh, 51 other weeks uh, hmm. uh, fantastic and they're a resource and you don't it's not competitive I don't I don't think except in the way that you know every war boy would be competitive everyone wants to have the uh, the most aspirated carburetor the uh, the biggest tires the uh, largest spread on the diff the most explosive weapon the 
fuck me, whose idea was it to you? What coins are no good anymore, but they make great shrapnel. <laughs> so you know, I'm going to make I'm going to make a thunderstick that's full of uh, that's full of quarters. Now that's a great idea. George did often walk around the workshop, uh, and we were sort of given free range. He was on another job. Uh, and uh, also, you know, we tend to operate a little better. If you're going to argue with someone all the time, it's better you keep them down to, you know, once every couple of months. (laughs) (laughs) That's how me and my girlfriend operate, Colin. What a pity you've spent so much time building that. I don't like it. Um, (laughs) Or I was on the way here, and I passed a tanker, and it had this little curvy thing, and I said, George, we finished the tankers two months ago. Yeah, but look, I've just seen one. <laughs> so, uh, so no, I don't believe I don't believe uh, Machiavellian uh, and uh, you know that sort of uh, evil <laughs> version of uh, competitiveness. What it was was everybody every was instilling in everybody the passion and allowing them. To, uh, to, to be free with skills that they had and then also finding them. You can force someone, you know, you go and you watch, uh, we had a great panel beater, Mark Natoli. You go and watch people work and you see the skills that he's got that don't get used anymore. You know, there's not a lot of people anymore on your carbon fiber Corolla hmm. that you bother with an English wheel putting hmm. a soft, you know, tiny compound curve. Into a into a piece of steel and molding, melding, stretching, uh, and yet he had these skills. And so when we came to look at things like, uh, well, let's say the Nux's exhaust pipes, well, you know, okay, we can put them out. I'd really like them to have flames embossed into them, but I find it's a bit like tattoos. I've sort of, you know, I don't want us to have tattoos. I find it all it's all a bit naff. Once, when, once my mother got, you know, the, the I Ching and a dolphin just above, <laughs> her, uh, above her clitoris, I sort of lost interest in, uh, in the whole This is going to be weird. I've met your mother, though, Colin, I should tell you. Uh, yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, no, no. She, you, you may well have met her. Were you ever a sailor? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So, basically, I don't Where was I? Uh, <laughs> we were uh, dolphin clitoris, I, I think, your mother. mother. Into it, I get all so confused. Tattoos are naff. Yeah. Tattoos were naff. So is there another way to tattoo the steel? And uh, and originally, you know, we so he said, oh no, that we used to at Tech we had this uh, this system where we couldn't, uh, you know, we didn't have the embossing machines and things, and to put it into a compound curved object. So what what he did was we uh, we reinvented, we welded two flat pipes, and uh, and then just used water pressure. So it's just a pump that's uh, purely physical, completely analog. And then you pump the water pressure in until it stretches that uh, those steel. And as long as the welds hold, you uh, you know you bow out to a curve. You end up with a with an exhaust pipe tube, and it has folded into it the flames and patterns. Now that's because somebody had that talent, had that skill, and uh, and was prepared to do it, to add it to where we were. You know, or we'd find a way of welding, uh, you know, I had this idea of henna tattooing uh, on some of the stuff. If you were going to tattoo that sort of, you know, henna, beautiful henna work that mm-hmm. was detailed and caring that we put onto one of the Volvolini motorbikes. And then I said, mm-hmm. well, what about butching it up 
and we did it on one of the tow trucks. You know, we started to weld and use the, you know, the offcuts and the and the overweld to actually patinate. Of course, you know, by the time you had to do four or five of those vehicles, you did start using uh, you st- start using the squeegee silicon gun and painting over it. But you know, the <laughs> sure. idea was there. So we were using, ta- you know, trying to work out ways to do it that they would have had to do it, and reasons to do it that a group of guys lost and bereft who are forced to point everything they find at survival and yet who also have to have to not lose a yearning for the beauty, for the civilization that was lost, for all this shit that came down to us, the beauty of the V8 engine, the gun, the condom, you know, whatever you found that mm. you've salvaged together. Mm. What the fuck is it? How do I use it? And Jesus, how did these guys, if they had this, how did they end up leaving me this uh, total shit fight of a world? Yeah. There's, there's been a lot of... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, no, I was just going to say, um, in, in, uh, in interviews and, uh, and speeches I've seen you give, um, you, you're very quick to, to give away uh, credit and to, to draw the attention away from yourself and to really uh, re-explain to people who either... Had, don't know that or have forgotten that that movies are not made by a single person's vision or, or a single person's person's work. Um, I so much appreciate that uh, that idea. Um, and in in getting all of your guys together, um, guys and gals, who, who whoever you had on your team, I know that you had sort of base basic rules for everything that was being created. You did. You talk about you know the anthropology, the history and philosophy of the thing, and the, and and the physics, and the you know down to to the gods. I mean, you had to to look at all that stuff. Now, is that a discussion you had with with all members of your team, or was that something that that happened higher up that that you sort of agreed on, and then you you gave them sort of the the, the distilled down ideas? No, I tried to. Uh, you know, you've heard me rabbit on <laughs> distilling ideas. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I think the the hardest thing. I mean, I, I tell you, the the birth of it was probably in George telling the tell. I don't know from the earlier Mad Maxes, you know, where where the young girl and the in the kids in uh, in in, uh, in crashed landing plane world. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was telling the tell now, looking back, you know, down past history, back to when Mister Walker came and gave us all the oak, you know. So (laughs) basically George walked me through the storyboards Mm -hmm. and told me the tell. And I have a slightly different, you know, obviously a slightly different way of telling and talking. (laughs) And uh, I think sometimes George felt I wasn't quite quite as, uh, as, as loving of, of it as he was, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I was, I just have a slightly more, uh, you know, I need to make it fun and, and funny. Yeah. And also I had to do it to a huge different crowd of talents and sensibilities, mm-hmm. right. right down to the fact the first time I was in Africa, 2002, 2003, Jesus, <laughs> uh, I, there were three Australians on the crew. I found a couple of South African mechanics. I had one New Zealand guy, and then everyone else was African uh, or Namibian, and uh, they had no way of, you know, you know, min- minimal or less. They had no way of really understanding. So, as we got 
a core group of people, I would, on a Friday night, put up the storyboards uh, just on a little rough animatic that I made, and then I would do all the voices and talk my way through what? the uh, through the show. So some of those guys saw a uh, rather sarcastic version of, uh, <laughs> of Fury Road uh, way back in 2003. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a great way to try to, to bring them all in. But, no, I don't think we, we never tried to say, you know, we're having the high-level conversations. Um, mm-hmm. You guys in the trenches just go in there and build me something with a V8 and then uh, blow it up. There's an, there's an, uh, this is something we keep coming across interviewing people from the film. We started off just go breaking down the film and then got access to some of the people and, and thought it might be interesting to sort of ask their perspective on it. Um, I've been watching a lot of old Robert Zemeckis films, and what, what strikes me about that guy is that the difference between... He, he could have put a lot less effort into his movies and they would have been fine, good movies. Roger Rabbit is fine without all the extra loaded gags and background scenes and sort of hidden gags. Back to the Future is fine without some of those extra details. But he's obsessive about it, you can tell. And he really put all this extra effort into making it a, a masterpiece or a great film. And you see this constantly in Mad Max Fury Road. I would say that, you know, you can't, it's impossible to get everything from one watch in that film. It's too loaded with stuff. And so you have to expect that the filmmakers are a little obsessive about making something that's holistic, complete, and, uh, and holds up to scrutiny. Knowing that most of your audience will not catch most of what you do. What drives you to put that level of detail in? Is it your own personal need to make it great? Is it the opportunity, the creativity, or is it the subconscious feel that the audience might get, even though they don't catch it or clock it consciously? Yeah, look, from, from my point of view, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm sure George does. I don't really think about, about it from the point of view of, you know, will the audience get this gag or not? You're, you put so much, so much time, heart, effort love into what into what you're making that uh you want it to be the most the most entire thing it can be george would walk around the walk around the workshop and go oh colin you know you don't need you know what a pity we'll never see that you know you've just carved a teeny tiny blah into the into the dashboard of this car and why would you know we'll never see it and I would always say, well, you're the director. If it's that good, make sure we see it. <laughs> and he would go, you know, I've got other fish to fry. I'm destroying something else. You know, no, you can't have that. You know, that little th- we'd, we'd put, uh, you know, one of those I, I, on the Volkswagen. Uh, I put, we, we put a lot of effort into that being a huge. We, there was a convex mirror that we put on the back of it, like one of those, you know, coming around a blind corner mm-hmm. mirrors. And I stuck it in a particular spot wedged into the corner because I had always imagined a shot where the guy would be surprised by the truck that was hurtling up to destroy him, and that was my cut. And uh, it didn't get shot that way. George, George, far better than I knew that, uh, you know, the, the speed that he was cutting it at, we'd never get to it. So that was something that was there that meant something to me that was important. We had carved into the uh, Volkswagen, well, into the uh, dashboard was uh, FKD, which was uh, basically, which is short for fucked. But 
<laughs> no, nobody in the world is going to know that originally the Volkswagen was denoted in the factory by the words KFD, which, uh, oh, fuck, my German's a bit, Kraft Dirt Freude, which, uh, from, the, from the, the same group that bought you Arbeit Macht Frey. Right, right. <laughs> it basically meant uh, strength through joy was, uh, was Hitler's uh, idea of the, you know, the little car for the whole for the every man of Germany. Right. And so in a world where you're cobbling things together and it's non-literal and you don't really have a written language anymore, uh, only those, you know, higher levels still have managed to maintain that. Um, the slight dyslexia of uh, KFD turning into fucked, turning into the Volkswagen that uh, was strength through joy is uh, a terrific amount of fun for uh, someone with my warped sensibility, but uh, doesn't necessarily translate to, boy, I hope, what are those stupid schmucks at home? What do you mean they voted for Donald Trump, but they can't get a simple bit of historical alliteration? <laughs> right. A bit of German punnery uh, goes well in the Trump administration, we've learned. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, so we had, uh, you know, little things carved into people, you know, who put the F in utility? Um, because, you know, here in Australia, the, uh, you know, the, the, the car with the, with, the, uh, with the work platform on the back is a ute, a utility. And of course, you know, futility was one of our main, uh, one of our main uh, backstory lines. So there's a whole lot of, uh, there's a whole lot of stuff that's, that's there. But it's there because it makes it realer for us and for everyone else who's there. It was one of the main reasons that George wanted to do this last great action movie as really, as truthfully and as mechanically appropriately as possible. So that's why we decided instead of the, you know, the system that usually happens is you design something way cool uh, and then you go out and you build it the, uh, the cutest, uh, lightest way possible and then the special effects guys come in and have to do five different versions of it in three different sorts of steel and two sorts of plastic so that we can get all of the gags and the stunts and the bits out of it. We actually designed the characters so that they did were capable of doing their own stunts. They're not just actors, they're also stunt people. It's built into what they have to be because there's a shortage of materials. And sometimes that meant that uh, because I happened to have found three matching uh, Jags uh, that we used for one of the convoy vehicles, we happened to find three of them, two in one yard and one, you know, 1,100 kilometres away in a paddock. Now, they were all three pretty much the same model, so that meant that I had something where I knew I needed a double uh, and where I knew I also had another that I could mount. So that sort of chose itself as a vehicle, which didn't work out all that well because uh, I think George never really liked the Jaguar that much. <laughs> and so I just kept trying to foist it on him because I had three of them <laughs> and I had to keep changing, you know, trying to modify, give it spats, give it a bigger gun, put an extra guy in it, uh, you know, heighten the back, anything to try to sell it to him because I had three of them and it was required that I needed three for that gag. And, you know, eventually we, we did... Uh, we did foist it on him, but deep down, I don't think he really liked it that much. I, I would like to um, see your characters and raise you a Karmada, which is uh, what we've been referring to the, the wide wedges of vehicles. 
but you you brought up you know this is not something I was I was originally going to ask but uh, but you started it when you uh, when you brought up uh, Thunderdome and uh, Captain Walker um, but it's 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 widely it's a widely shared belief on on our end and I think your end too that that the the third film is a bit of an aberration and doesn't quite carry the legacy the same way that you know the first two films did and do you because of what we've been talking about now I know George was was dealing with with issues that I can't even imagine having to deal with and uh, deliver a film um, at the time but do you feel that what really uh, made that film not come together quite the same way was the lack of attention to detail or the lack of creating everything from a from using those you know looking through the anthropology the history the philosophy and it, it becoming more of something that 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 just looked cool and didn't always necessarily make sense yeah look i, I must admit one of the uh, one of the ongoing lines between george and i was that i took the job so that he wouldn't make Thunderdome again. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, and unfortunately, I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of as aggravatingly brutal as that most of the time to talk to, which you know, possibly makes me a slightly abrasive collaborator. So uh, no, George, it looks too much like Thunderdome. And then George would you know come back and go, I really think at the Citadel we should have a Thunderdome, like a giant, thun- you know, and I'm like, no! <laughs> no! Uh-huh. Look, I, I, it is an aberration. And for those of us who, uh, who dislike, for those of us who, dis, you know, who didn't, didn't really respond as well to Thunderdome, it's, uh, it's got a fantastic opening image. Mm-hmm. I think the camels dragging the, uh, dragging the vehicle across the desert is uh, mm-hmm. utterly gorgeous. I think there's some beautiful beats in it, mm-hmm. but I do think that it it's uh, it, it's it's one of those things. If you if you uh, why does a dog lick its balls? Because it can. And <laughs> suddenly, if you've got a shitload of money, then you you're led into doing you know all the stuff that seems cool, and uh, and you do start to just sort of you know let's throw this in and we'll play with the the Geiger counter and the gags and everybody will be dressed up and they'll be funny. It, it, it just, the whole thing felt a little shallow and there were, you know, there were two or three completely separate storylines all fighting to meet, you know, so there's, the kids are out in the desert, not just because they're a completely different world. Uh, they're also a whole different uh, way of thinking and uh, way of surviving. And so connecting them was a bit odd. I think the main problem with Thunderdome was, from my point of view, was was, was that it, it it really did. It was all about surface, and not about and not about the real physics and the real world. And I think George realised that, and I think that's why, you know, we were all so eager to uh, to develop a you know a, a lasting and uh, and real framework that uh, that could stand on its own internal logic. Well, that's that's why I think the, this interplay that you're talking about is what we've come to decide, I think. I'm speaking for Yuri here, but... Um, Feel free to. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I've come to decide is, is kind of why the film works. And hearing you sort of explicate it makes a lot of sense that the the intuition about a movie that's been storyboarded for 1400 storyboards for you know 12 years is that you know precisely the shots you're going to get so you only design for the shots that you're going to shoot 
What you're saying is, no, we designed a full world and told George to go play in it. So that that's counterintuitive, but that precise thing is why the movie feels so loaded. There's tons of background stuff that George didn't have time to shoot that we see if we choose to, to, to dig into it. And also subconsciously, this, this is not your intention going in, but there is a weird subconscious weight to background details in a, in a film, in a world building film that's new to us. I mean, I, we haven't seen a movie that does that, be it Star Wars or you know Star Trek or any other world building type in, environments. They're always designed for the shots you're getting and the backgrounds aren't especially interesting. So there's a, there's a psychological weight to this film that that comes from, you know, having this interplay between you and it sounds like George. Um, and so my question, all that is, is to lead up to, uh, are there any um, disagreements that you want to talk about um, beyond shoot this thing or I, I built this thing, why don't you shoot it, that you want to talk about in terms of George? Because I think the interplay between the two of you from most people we've interviewed seems to be the driving force behind the, the depth and complexity of the film. Well, suddenly it sounds like uh, if George is the oyster, then I'm the bit of shit that uh, <laughs> may or may not have helped uh, become a pearl. But it's all the other layers that get uh, stuck over the grit that make the pearl, and all those other layers are everybody else. So uh, there's a there's a pretty good. Uh, the world is your oyster. George is the is the oyster. I'm the bit of grit, and uh, I'd like to thank everybody else on the credit list for. Uh, adding layers of lustrous pearl. Look, there was, uh, there was some fantastic, uh, you know, some not, not just disagreement. I mean, what, what it is is you have a slightly different approach. And I was lucky, we were all lucky, that the way it operated was that we did get a chance to, you know, to surge ahead and build. And we did get a chance to make things. You know, there were, there were probably three or four, three or four main gags that, that were... Where, where George and I were at variance. Uh, and, uh, and I think between, because of that interplay, because of that tension, uh, it actually became a better thing. Uh, I'd guess they'd, I, I'd say the main ones were, you know, Furiosa's, uh, Furiosa's prosthetic arm uh, was, was one of them. The polecats was another. George had, had invented the polecats in his head as if in a dream, you know, he'd seen them uh, coming across, coming across the world, and they were they were on pole vaults. They were bending. They were uh, attacking, and uh, the the tension wasn't so much about about using them, but about how they would operate. And I, I I was not clever enough to come up with a way to make a pole vault. Uh, a bendy object do what George needed it to do at 100 kilometres an hour off-road with a real human being at the top. And George's, sure. George's never thought we would. His response was, it's not going to be safe, it's not really going to operate, and anyway, Colin, you stupid Luddite, uh, we can do it with CG. <laughs> right. you know, it'll be much safer, it'll be terrific, whereas I just kept worrying at it and hitting it with a stick and I came back to it. We had, uh, you know, three or four different versions. Uh, we had a sort of a bungee web version. We had a couple of different counterweight versions. Uh, Guy Norris, the stunt guy, was desperate to make it work as well. He, he you know, really wanted to be able to do it for real. But uh, George started to get quite 
aggravated with me because I kept coming back saying, look, George, we've got this version. We put a V8 motor on the back. We run up exactly the weight. We put another guy on the bottom and by counterweighting, now you don't get the bend in the pole that you drew in that storyboard in 2000. <laughs> but we do, we do get the physics of it. And think of it like this. It's like a ballet of metronomes coming down the road. It also gives you a set distance, you know, you can play with the drops. It'll be, it just doesn't let it, and he goes, no, I want it to bend. And, uh, <laughs> oh, anyway, man. Fortunately, we went to, uh, we went to uh, Broken Hill to do tests and uh, we took our counterweight versions and uh, the stunt guys and PJ Voten shot a whole lot of this footage and sent it back to George, uh, who was on Happy Feet at the time, and said, uh, what do you think? And uh, he said, that's pretty amazing, I guess. Are you sure it's safe? Uh, that's a problem with being a doctor. He's taken a Hippocratic yeah. oath. He's not supposed to hurt anyone, <laughs> whereas uh, most of my oaths are to hurt someone. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, so the, the the pole vault was one. You know, the 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 polers that uh, counterweight system was an ongoing battle, but uh, the desire to do it for real and to make George's vision work just meant you had to slightly amend the vision and then and then make it work and the claw was another you know george was had got stuck in his mind that it wasn't a disability that it was to make her more enabled which uh, which is which was true but i had a big problem with it my first image of that claw came from a, a picture i'd seen of a guy in a refugee camp who'd lost uh who'd lost, you know, the hootsie tootsie, you know, do you want short sleeves or long sleeves? We're going to cut off your arm. Do you Yikes. want it above or below? And uh, this guy in the camp um, had made a prosthesis for the only two things he needed to do. Uh, one of them was a spoon that sat onto the end of the, and it was a battered little silver spoon and it just wedged into a piece of, uh, into a piece of tin that went onto his stump. And the other thing he needed to do was to uh, was to smoke roaches, and so he had a tiny wire roach clip that replaced the spoon. Now, for me, that was that was where uh, we were looking at going, trying to make it as pure and as simple as that. So, you know, I started with uh, half a pair of vice grips. George started with uh, you know with with a huge. Uh, super powered it's got a motor and then it'll give her extra strength and it'll have cables and power and so it was an ongoing argument between us that uh, I was having trouble coming to terms with and uh, you know he didn't want to give up on not he wanted to more enable her and I just wanted to do it within the physics and the realms of what little there was left repurposed as cleanly and perfectly as possible but we went on and on and on we were right to uh, right to the wire in fact george arrived in africa and started looking at all the weapons and things we'd been building i had him do a bit of a walkthrough and he'd go and say oh, i like that one i don't like that how do you kill someone with this blah 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 <laughs> and uh matty Bowd's, uh claw in its uh, in its almost finished form was laying there 
almost accidentally. Uh, yeah. George, George looked at it and said, and what does this do? And I said, well, we didn't want to give up. I know you don't want to, uh, you know, the, the, the prosthetic claw that we were working on, but it'd be a pity to waste all that work. And yet, you know, it does look like something and it does simplify how she'd be operating. Uh, whereas, you know, George had, had gone on another line and, uh, and had and had other people back at Dr. D helping design a 3D printed super lightweight giant orangutan arm that <laughs> had uh, circles and arrows on the back that explained where it went to and for. Mm. And, uh, you know, giant powered claws and little motors that went putt, putt, putt. And uh, we were very lucky that when Charlize came in for a fitting, um, she looked at the few options and started to tell George a story of how once on a film she chose the wrong earrings and they gave her such a neck ache uh, that, uh, you know, she really didn't want to be, you know, didn't want to have her her performance tied to an enormous, ludicrous, heavy object that would drive her performance rather than the other way around. So we had all these varying variants, all these versions. We had, uh, you know, the different options and we kept part of George's... Uh, better enabling and part of our simplified and lightweight and part of the VFX's version that if we can green glove it, then we've eliminated, you know, a hundred shots. And Charlize's chance to actually perform in a state of grace and not to have uh, one of her arms operated by two chubby Kiwis in green spandex uh, crouched <laughs> down behind the car seat. Doesn't sound great when you put it that way, I don't think. No, that's part of my problem. I can usually find a way to make it sound really crap. Yeah, you should have heard Matt Bell try to navigate the the my two dads situation here <laughs> with some sort of diplomacy. And like he was trying to be so gracious and like, well, they both had really good ideas and I was trying to, you know, create something that would satisfy both of them. And the way he was presenting it, you could tell he's just biting his tongue constantly. Huh. Oh yeah. Well, there was a, there's always a lot of there's always a lot of tongue biting, but it's uh, it's out of that taste of blood that's left in your mouth that yeah. uh, something good often comes. Uh huh. Yeah. You 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 touch on uh, in 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 the conversation you just or in the the response you just had. Um, th this film is known for its practical effects and its practical stunts, and what you see was what actually took place, as opposed to something that was created in a computer after the film was was shot. Um, can you just talk even just briefly about um, having to, you know, pushing for that, but also knowing that you'd have to work with, you know, with some visual effects um, to, to, to bind it all together, even if, even if the CGI uh, for this film is limited to more, you know, blending and, and sort of making things fit a little better? Oh, look, it's actually, uh, it's actually more than that. Uh, we had fantastic visual effects. Uh, Andrew Jackson um, did such a great job. Uh, and uh, David Nelson and the rest of the guys. Look, look, I I started from the theory that I was uh, that I was a CG agnostic, and you know, obviously we use CG all the time now. We're completely, you know, we're, we're often uh, often working working uh, with the computer rather than with uh, you know with a welder. But I guess we started with the theory that that we'll try to do everything for real because that. In essence, was what was what made the first Max 
so great. The, the you know, one hand tied behind your back. We've only got one motorbike. Uh, the stunt guy arrived and he's limping uh, already, so we probably only get one go at this. So we're going to try to do it for real. And, uh, you know, we're going to make it as safe as possible. But it's that tension between safety and spectacle uh, that is what's going to give us the tension, the strength, the conflict, the drama, and, and give it that spine-tingling, hair-standing-up uh, sort of feel. So I worked on the theory that we do everything for real. Uh, obviously, uh, we didn't eventually. A lot of the a lot of the CG came in handy. I would design parts into the vehicles where we could hide cameras. And then, of course, on the day, the great John Seal would come and say, George, I've got this great idea. What if we put another three cameras, one here, one here, one here? And it was only through CG that they could get those tiny takes those little cuts that helped sell the story so beautifully that helped demonstrate physics you know that was the perfect spot to say fuck me there is gravity and this guy really should be dead uh but he's not and uh they could then use cg to blend out the camera to uh you know to to put the reality back in again so we went on the theory that we would do everything for real. We would make all the, the, the weaponry. We would make the vehicles. Everything should be capable of performing in battle and in film uh, to, to, to the best of its ability. And uh, then everything else after that was, uh, was just uh, gravy. That uh, leads me to a very simple question here. So you in the course of this interview have basically told us that you got to create a world um, and have a staff of people helping you to create a world, most of which, some of which was shot, some of which just exist in the imaginations and eyesight of the people who worked on the film. Here's my question. Are you spoiled now? Or do you feel like hopeful about finding this experience again? Or would you rather not have that holistic of an experience? Oh, I think the, the holistic nature happens with whatever the show is. You know, I just... Uh, I just finished a film with uh, Stephen Elliott, the Priscilla Queen of the Desert uh, yeah. guy who I worked on, you know, worked on that with him many, many years ago. And then we built, uh, you know, we built a world of Welcome to Whoop Whoop with uh, Owen Patterson designing uh, after that. And this one was, uh, was a flashback to the, to the mid-70s and his childhood. And yet you have to still build a world that allows you to go back to that 70s still be true to the period and to what was there and yet heighten what needed to be heightened to tell a more comic version of what was essentially a touching and real story. So they're all real and they're all holistic and you just have to find a different way in. As to whether I'd ever get the chance to do something as fantastic as, as Fury Road, Probably not. You don't often get the option to uh, to build a whole new world from uh, from not from scratch. Like I said, George's oyster came with an awful lot of the ideas already there. We just got to uh, flesh them out and make them real. And as you said, we built we built the world in our heads of Gastown, of the Bullet Farm. You know, we uh, we reinvented. You know, if they've got if they've got bullets. Then where did they get them? They got them from, you know, blah. Okay, well, they're tilling 
the last great psalm and the Passion Dale, but that, that version from the last great end of the world, the Carmageddon. And so they're ploughing the bodies and you can make gunpowder from saltpetre, saltpetre from piss, piss from uh, the nitrous, noxious uh, body waste that comes uh, just after death. And so the bodies, the piss, the urine, the ploughing all gave us uh, the plough cars and the rednecks and the guys covered in that ochre and dust. And so, you know... It's a great joy to be able to build a whole world and uh, I'm happy to do it. Uh, and it, all it is is you just start from a different moment. I talked to a Japanese company a couple of weeks ago about a show and suggested to the director that his problem was he was starting from now and uh, his alternate view of the universe, I said, you'll help yourself a great deal if we just go back and choose a different point in time from uh, from where you begin your apocalypse and you know you happen to start at leonardo da vinci instead of uh, elon musk you build a whole different way of seeing the world and therefore you build a whole different future so uh here's to us building a whole different future maybe i'll get to design a world post trump uh, <laughs> there's I, I, one I wish, left I, right i wish you would um you mentioned short sidebar um you mentioned welcome to whoop whoop um, apparently, your your nickname was Sausage Pants on that uh, on that shoot, uh, that production. Uh, is there a story behind that you'd like to enlighten us? Well, all? you know, like on Priscilla, um, the you know you you're working with, uh, with with drag queens and gay people, and uh, at that stage, well, you know, late seventies, early eighties was uh, very uh, you know, guys, us us film technicians used to wander around in tights, uh, so. <laughs> Sausage pants that, could have come from that. that yep, that, that makes a lot of sense. Would you? Would you? Um, do, do you look uh, at, at one point in time wanting to to direct something yourself, like as as the director, as opposed to just taking? Because it really seems like you've you've got all all the pieces. You've considered all the things that uh, you know a director's vision requires. Is that something you'd be interested in, or it's just not uh, not your bag? No, no, all, all things are my bag. All things are everybody's bag. It's just a question of what uh, of what comes around. So, Yuri, Travis, send me a script. I'll, uh, I'll <laughs> Don't tempt you know. us. <laughs> yeah, dear Sausage Pan, here's a great script. Please direct here's it. the story of my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it begins. Um, here, uh, um, we'll, we'll give you a chance to, to, to promote anything you want to say, but I, I, have, I have one final question raised by something you, you spoke of uh, near the beginning. As we fall towards feudalism, um, if there were something uh, you think that would be the, something that you think would be useful in this in in this coming time, what do you think we should be scavenging now to use <laughs> later? Yuri just had a kid. That's why he's asking that question. <laughs> I've been thinking about uh, I've been thinking about the current administration and yeah. our fall towards feudalism a lot lately. Great. Yeah, no, I can see I can see why it's uh, it's it is a it is an ongoing horror. I don't know, the, uh, the, the Burning Man people called us when we, were, uh, when we were working in Broken Hill and George had come out to do a, uh, a, a walk past and see all the vehicles and, you know, blah, 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 and uh, did a quick video clip uh, to send to them. And uh, I do remember mentioning to them that uh, as the world fell toward feudalism, uh, 
the idea of digging a bunker and filling it with baked beans wasn't going to do your child very much good. Uh, and I wasn't too sure that the, uh, that the walking dead, waking whatever version of, of, of a land that had too many guns in the first place was the system. I'm not sure what you need to, uh, what you need to get except fellow feeling and, uh, and a way to listen. I don't know, you almost feel like you need to design to design something with a slightly op more open mind and bigger ears because uh, we're not going to get anywhere by polarizing our only hope anymore is uh, is to try to uh, is to try to see all the sides and and let everyone know what that adds up to and then you know then you'll take the blinkers off and people will see how absolutely insane uh, the version of reality in which you find yourself now Maybe we'll hire you to art direct the real world uh, for the next couple of years. That would be okay. Yeah. I'll be probably fun. have to get uh, a small crew. I'll probably need four or five guys. Is that okay? <laughs> Matt Bell said he's not doing anything right now. So <laughs> by all means, please call him. Uh, right, th thank you. I will, I will take that in going. For, I'm always looking for uh, uh, lessons to, to teach my, my young infant son and, uh, I thank you for, for providing even more fuel for my fire. Um, thank you for taking the time today. Is there, do you have any parting shots? Is there anything you'd like to, to promote uh, that, that people maybe haven't heard of yet or uh, ways to, to, to reach out to you online? Stay in touch with what you're doing, either a website or Twitter or whatever. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm keeping up my Luddite uh, version of uh, of the universe i don't uh, i don't twitter that seemed to have been taken over by uh, by the, your by your large fat orange man <laughs> hey. staying, well, staying well away from from anything that sounds even vaguely twittery uh look i'm uh, i'm around i exist i'm alive they can always find you through me now so uh, vice versa Right. You can uh, find me through Travis and Yuri, and uh, <laughs> just keep those scripts coming in. Yeah, th yeah big, big thanks do. to Julia for for helping to make this uh, this meeting happen. Um, I know you're. Yeah, you're if, I, if I hadn't been so rude to her boyfriend, uh, I probably wouldn't have taken any notice. Of it, but, uh, <laughs> the, well, we're glad you were rude. Yeah, the best relationships are started through that way. That's how Yuri and I met too. <laughs> I really offended his wife. Um, great man. Well, thanks for taking the time. This has been really, really fantastic. Uh, you must be uh, well, well balanced going forward. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't encourage that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so th thank you, and and uh, for for taking the time today, Colin. Thank thank our audience for for continuing to listen. We hope. Uh, my name is Yuri Lowenthal. My name is Travis Intel. This has been Colin Gibson, and you are awaited. <laughs>